Section 12 of Three Science Fiction Novellas by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 12 of Enchantress of Venus. They stood inside the vast echoing hall that stretched away into darkness until it seemed there was no end to it. The cluster of silver lamps burned as before, and within their circle of radiance the Lahari started up from their places and stared at the strangers who had come in through their private door. Cond and Errol, with her hands idle in her lap. Bore, pommeling the little dragon to make it hiss and snap, laughing at its impotence. Vara, stroking the winged creature on her wrist, testing with her white finger the sharpness of its beak. And the old woman, with a scrap of fat meat halfway to her mouth. They had stopped, frozen, in the midst of these actions. And Trion walked slowly into the light. "'You know me,' he said. A strange shivering ran through them. Now, as before, the old woman spoke first, her eyes glittering with a look as rapacious as her appetite. "'You are Trion,' she said, and her whole vast body shook. The name went crying and whispering off around the dark walls. "'Trion! Trion! Trion!' Con leaped forward touching his cousin's straight, strong body with hands that trembled. "'You have found it,' he said. "'The secret.' "'Yes,' Trion lifted his silver head and laughed, a beautiful, ringing bell-note that sang from the echoing corners. "'I found it, and it's gone, smashed, beyond your reach forever. Egil is dead, and the day of the Lahari is done.' There was a long, long silence, and then the old woman whispered, "'You lie!' Trion turned to Stark. "'Ask him, the stranger who came bearing doom upon his forehead. "'Ask him if I lie.' Khan's face became something less than human. He made a queer, crazed sound and flung himself at Trion's throat. Bor screamed suddenly. He alone was not much concerned with the finding or the losing of the secret, and he alone seemed to realize the significance of Stark's presence. He screamed, looking at the big dark man, and went rushing off down the hall, crying for the guard as he went, and the echoes roared and racketed. He fought open the great doors and ran out, and as he did so the sound of fighting came through from the compound. The slaves, with their swords and clubs, with their stones and shards of rock, had come over the wall from the cliffs. Stark had moved forward, but Trion did not need his help. He had got his hands around Khan's throat, and he was smiling. Stark did not disturb him. The old woman was talking, cursing, commanding, choking on her own apoplectic breath. Errol began to laugh. She did not move, and her hands remained limp and open in her lap. She laughed and laughed, and Vara looked at Stark and hated him. "'You are a fool, wild man,' she said. "'You would not take what I offered you, "'so you shall have nothing, only death.' "'She slipped the hood from her creature "'and set it straight at Stark. "'Then she drew a knife from her girdle "'and plunged it into Trion's side. "'Trion reeled back. "'His grip loosened and Con tore away, "'half-throttled, raging, "'his mouth flecked with foam.' He drew his short sword and staggered in upon Trion. 
furious wings beat and thundered around Stark's head, and talons were clined for his eyes. He reached up with his left hand and caught the brute by one leg and held it. Not long, but long enough to get one clear shot at Cond that dropped him in his tracks. Then he snapped the falcon's neck. He flung the creature at Varner's feet and picked up the gun again. The guards were rushing into the hall now at the lower end, and he began to fire at them. Treon was sitting on the floor. Blood was coming in a steady trickle from his side, but he had the shock weapon in his hands, and he was still smiling. There was a great, boiling roar of noise from outside. Men were fighting there, killing, dying, screaming their triumph or their pain. The echoes raged within the hall, and the noise of Stark's gun was like a hissing thunder. The guards, armed only with swords, went down like ripe wheat before the sickle. But there were many of them, too many for Stark and Treon to hold for long. The old woman shrieked and shrieked, and was suddenly still. Helvi burst in through the press with a knot of collared slaves. The fight dissolved into a whirling chaos. Stark threw his gun away. He was afraid now of hitting his own men. He caught up a sword from a fallen guard and began to hew his way to the barbarian. Suddenly Treon cried his name. He leaped aside, away from the men he was fighting, and saw Vara fall with the dagger still in her hand. She had come up behind him to stab, and Treon had seen and pressed the trigger stud just in time. For the first time there were tears in Treon's eyes. A sort of sickness came over Stark. There was something horrible in this spectacle of a family destroying itself. He was too much the savage to be sentimental over Vara, but all the same he could not bear to look at Treon for a while. Presently he found himself back to back with Helvi, and as they swung their swords, the shock weapons had been discarded for the same reason as Stark's gun. Helvi panted. "'It's been a good fight, my brother. We cannot win.' but we can have a good death, which is better than slavery. It looked as though Helvi was right. The slaves, unfortunately, weakened by their long confinement, worn out by overwork, were being beaten back. The tide turned, and Stark was swept with it into the compound, fighting stubbornly. The great gate stood open. Beyond it stood the people of Sharoon, watching, hanging back, as Treon had said, they would wait and see. In the front, leaning on his stick, stood Larrabee the Earthman. Stark cut his way free of the press. He leaped up onto the wall and stood there, breathing hard, sweating, bloody, with a dripping sword in his hand. He waved it, shouting down to the men of Sharoon. "'What are you waiting for, you scuts, you women? The Lahari are dead!' THE LOST ONES ARE FREED. MUST WE OF EARTH DO ALL YOUR WORK FOR YOU? HE LOOKED STRAIGHT AT LARRABEE. LARRABEE STARED BACK, HIS DARK SUFFERING EYES FULL OF BITTER MIRTH. OH, WELL, HE SAID IN ENGLISH, WHY NOT? HE THREW BACK HIS HEAD AND LAUGHED, AND THE BITTERNESS WAS GONE. HE VOICED A HIGH, SHRILL, REBEL YELL, AND LIFTED HIS STICK LIKE A cudgel, LIMPING TOWARD THE GATE. "'and the men of Shurun gave tongue and followed him. 
After that, it was soon over. They found Boar's body in the stable pens, where he had fled to hide when the fighting started. The dragons, maddened by the smell of blood, had slain him very quickly. Helvy had come through alive, and Larrabee, who had kept himself carefully out of harm's way after he had started the men of Sharoon on their attack. Nearly half the slaves were dead, and the rest wounded. Of those who had served the Lahari, few were left. Stark went back into the great hall. He walked slowly, for he was very weary, and where he set his foot there was a bloody print, and his arms were red to the elbows, and his breast was splashed with the redness. Creon watched him come, and smiled, nodding. "'It is as I said, and I have outlived them all.' Arrow had stopped laughing at last. She had made no move to run away, and the tide of battle had rolled over her and drowned her unaware. The old woman lay still, a mountain of inert flesh upon her bed. Her hand still clutched a ripe fruit, clutched convulsively in the moment of death the red juice dripping through her fingers. "'Now I am going, too,' said Treon, "'and I am well content. With me goes the last of our rotten blood, and Venus will be the cleaner for it. Bury my body deep, stranger with the fierce eyes. I would not have it looked on after this.' He sighed and fell forward. Boar's little dragon crept whimpering out from its hiding-place under the old woman's bed and scurried away down the hall trailing its dragging rope. Stark leaned on the taffrail, watching the dark mass of Sharoon recede into the red mists. The decks were crowded with the outland slaves going home. The Lahari were gone, the lost ones freed forever, and Sharoon was now only another port on the Red Sea. Its people would still be wolf's heads and pirates, but that was natural, as it should be. The black evil was gone. Stark was glad to see the last of it. He would be glad also to see the last of the Red Sea. The offshore wind set the ship briskly down the gulf. Stark thought of Larrabee, left behind with his dreams of winter snows and city streets and women with dainty feet. It seemed that he had lived too long in Sharoon and had lost the courage to leave it. Poor Larrabee! he said to Helvey, who was standing near him. He'll die in the mud, still cursing it. Someone laughed behind him. He heard a limping step on the deck and turned to see Larrabee coming toward him. I changed my mind at the last minute, Larrabee said. I've been below, lest I should see my muddy brats and be tempted to change it again. He leaned beside Stark, shaking his head. Ah, oh, well, they'll do nicely without me. I'm an old man, and I've a right to choose my own place to die in. I'm going back to Earth with you. Stark glanced at him. I'm not going to Earth. Larrabee sighed. No, no, I suppose you're not. After all, you're no Earthman, really, except for an accident of blood. Where are you going? I don't know. Away from Venus, but I don't know where yet. Larrabee's dark eyes surveyed him shrewdly. A restless, cold-eyed tiger of a man. That's what Vara said. He's lost something, she said. He'll look for it all his life and never find it. After that there was silence. 
the red fog wrapped them and the wind rose and sent them scudding before it then faint and far off there came a moaning wail a sound like broken chanting that turned stark's flesh cold all on board heard it they listened utterly silent their eyes wide and somewhere a woman began to weep stark shook himself it's only the wind he said roughly in the rocks by the strait the sound rose and fell weary infinitely mournful and the part of stark that was nachaka said that he lied it was not the wind that keened so sadly through the mists it was the voices of the lost ones who were forever lost zareth sleeping in the hall of kings and all the others who would never leave the dreaming city and the forest never find the light again stark shivered and turned away watching the leaping fires of the strait sweep toward them end of section twelve end of enchantress of venus